The reading tonight is taken from James 3, verses 1 to 12, and in the Pew's Bible, that is one page, uh, page 1214. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest, when a, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Uh, let me begin, first of all, by offering those of you who are watching this online at home a warm welcome. Uh, we're here this evening in church for an evening service. I don't know when you're watching this, but uh, welcome to St. John's. Uh, I'm going to offer you several quotations this evening. Um, and I'm going to start with one from Psalm 19, verse 14. It's my prayer, my personal prayer for this evening. And I'm hoping that by the time we get to the end of the sermon, that you'll like to join me in making it our prayer as we go into the week ahead. And it's this. Let me pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you've been around St. John's at all recently, you'll know that we're in the middle of a sermon series going through the book of James. And as uh, Sue has kindly read for us, we've now reached uh, James chapter 3, and it might be useful to you if you've got a Bible or a device that you uh, keep it near to you, keep it on and follow along. 
The title this evening, as those of us who are here have heard already, is The Power of the Tongue. The Power of the Tongue. And the Bible has a lot to say about what we speak, how we speak, and why we speak it. And James, in these few verses, begins, perhaps surprisingly, with an issue of judgment. Judgment. He says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Let's just pause there for a moment and notice that James is talking, writing to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to Christians. And therefore what he says to them has relevance to us. Those of us who are here who are Christians who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to Christians, not many of you should be teachers. Why? Well, one of the reasons he gives here is that we will be judged more strictly. We will be judged more strictly. It's worth pausing, I think, to point out that we're not talking here about eternal judgment. We're not talking about the state of where we will spend eternity, our eternal destiny, because as we've seen, uh, James is writing to believers already, so we are those who have passed from death to life. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. Uh, But there is still a judgment. Many of us will be familiar with the story that Jesus told, the parable of the talents, we often call it, about a homeowner who is going away on a long journey and he gives talents, he gives money perhaps, he gives responsibility to some of his servants and says, while I'm away, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to take care of. And the judgment is that at the end, when the homeowner returns, there is an accounting to be done. He calls his servants together and says, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the kind of judgment that is being talked about here. And if we're not teachers, we cannot avoid judgment altogether. James says, some will be judged more strictly. Presumably, we can imply from that that some may be judged a little more leniently but perhaps we will all be judged. And interestingly, we can't avoid being teachers either altogether. The Bible is quite clear about parents, teach your children. Uh, Teach them the normal things, to say please and thank you, to brush your teeth and wash your hands and things like that. But also, the Bible puts on parents the responsibility for teaching their children about God and about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And on a grander scale, since we're talking about ourselves as Christians, Jesus made it very clear that we are to go into all the world and make disciples and do what? Do what? Make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So there is a sense in which we will all face an accounting, there is a sense in which we will all be teachers. But 
he warns about too many being teachers within the church. He says, aware that those who accept a call to teach, which, if you've been around in the morning services, Eddie told us was one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we will be judged for our teaching within the body of the church. Judged by who? Well, those they teach. Those we teach. Our families and friends in the first instance. Those who are nearest to us, who love us most closely. When we get home, they will probably think to themselves, does he walk the talk? Is it just what he says in the pulpit or does he live like that? Our congregations as well. Wherever we are listening, you will come at the end of this service to some conclusion about what I say. It's always comforting to have a few people say on the way out, nice sermon vicar, or words to that extent. But also, sometimes some of us will go away thinking, I'm not sure about what he said. We make a judgment about what has been said and perhaps how it has been said. But we'll also be judged by the world around. In our workplaces, occasionally we'll come across a situation where somebody might say to us, as they have said to me, call yourself a Christian and you do that. We will be judged by the world by the people we speak to, by our families. But most importantly, we will have to give an account to God himself. In 1 Peter 4.11, it says, Peter says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. That's a responsibility put on us who teach. I came across this kind of responsibility many years ago when I was at school. Uh, In my generation, those of us who were at school, a lot of school was conducted with blackboard and chalk. Um, More modern things are used these days. Um, But it used to happen from time to time that the teacher would find halfway through his lesson that he hadn't got any chalk left. And he needed a few more sticks of chalk. And one of the pupils in the class would be sent next door to the next door classroom to get some chalk from the next door teacher. And it wasn't simply a case of going into the next door classroom, picking up some chalk out of the box and walking out saying, thank you, sir, and taking it back to the classroom. No, no, there was a proper way of requesting some more chalk. You had to leave the classroom, go to the next door classroom, knock on the door and wait to be invited in. And when you were invited in, you had to say, excuse me, Mr. Cullen, for example, excuse me, Mr. Cullen, but Mr. Hughes presents his compliments and asks that, could he please borrow three sticks of chalk? And the format was always the same. You were speaking on behalf of your other teacher and you had to say it the right way. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the words of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37, But I, Jesus, tell you that everyone will give an account 
on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. All of us face the prospect of some sort of judgment to give an account of what we say. Because all of us stumble. We all stumble in many ways, James says. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Whoever is never at fault is perfect. I don't think many of us would claim to be perfect, but we all stumble. James goes on to talk about the fact that the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it has great power, like a a bridle that you stick in a horse's mouth or a small rudder on a ship. It has great effect despite its size. It boasts. It's evil. It's a fire. It corrupts. No human being, verse 8 tells us, can tame the tongue. Verse 9, and the tongue, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father God, and with it we curse human beings. We all stumble. And I'm ashamed to stand here and tell you that my wife, who's here this evening, has said to me, don't talk to me like that. Because at times I get it wrong. Verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. So what should it be? What we say is important, the Bible tells us. What we say is important. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul writing to the Romans says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul tells us here that what we say should reflect what we believe. It's why from time to time we say the creed together. We stand and say, I believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, and the rest of the creed. Last week, we were talking about faith in action. And that extends not just to things that we do with our hands and feet, but it extends to what we say. Our faith should be reflected by what we say. Ephesians 4.29 gives us the other side of the issue. It says, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Not only what is helpful, but only, sorry, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How often have you heard, or perhaps how often have we said something that we regretted afterwards and we pass it off with, excuse my French. Let us not be those who pollute each other with our words. 
but let's be those who build each other up and benefit one another. Because, as we've hinted already, our words portray our characters. Our words portray our characters. Uh, need to catch up a couple in uh, Lucia uh, on the PowerPoint. Thank you. Our words portray our characters. Some verses from Psalm 37 and Proverbs. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. Proverbs 10. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 11. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Proverbs 15. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. It has been said, and I think rightly, that we live in a post-truth world. There is so much information going around that it's hard to tell what's true and what isn't. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are our words truthful? I don't simply mean, are we lying? But is what we're speaking to each other, is it really truth? Are we even sure sometimes what truth is? Very often, those of us who it might be involved in social media get taken in by some passing fake news or some conspiracy theory and we pass it on to other people, not really knowing whether it's true or not. Do our words, whether they're written words or texted words or spoken words, do our words truly portray our characters as people who are righteous, just, prudent, sensible, understanding, and wise? Or do they show us as sinful, unjust, senseless fools? Our words portray who we are. Well, what's the problem exactly? The problem is that Jesus had something to say on this. He said he was actually talking about food at the time and the question of washing hands before meals. But it fits here because he said, Jesus said, what goes into your mouth does not defile you, that's food. But what comes out of your mouth, that is what defiles you. And he's not talking about the odd bit of spit or maybe getting sick. He's talking about our words. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, Jesus goes on, goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. He goes on, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, there's our words, and slander. Our hearts, you see, are the problem. What we think, what we love, 
what we believe, our attitudes affect not only our physical actions, but also our words. So, how do we deal with this? Do we in fact agree that something needs dealing with? David, in Psalm 51, that famous psalm of David's confession after his adultery, says, Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We must want to want to be willing. We must want to want to say the right things. So David also says, Psalm 39, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. He resolves, as far as he is able to not say the wicked thing. But also, Psalm 35, he says, My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, and I will proclaim your praises all day long. He wills, he determines to say the good thing and praise God. I wonder how much we have resolved in our minds and our hearts to always aim to say the right thing. But David also knows, as we must know, that we can't do it on our own. Good resolutions, stirring yourself up, trying to be strong is not enough. So in Psalm 51, he also asks God to be at work in his heart. Because David knows that only God can purify his heart. He knows that only God can give him a willing and a steadfast spirit. Only God can cleanse him from his sin. So he asks God to do it for him. And so can we. And so can we. We come and ask God to deal with our hearts. And we can ask him to do that on the basis of his promises. A final quote, Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God is in the business of renewing hearts and minds. I started this evening with a quotation from Psalm 19, my prayer at the beginning of the service. Perhaps you would like to pray it with me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. Amen.